Would you please turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to continue today in uh, what we have begun a couple of weeks ago. Uh, speaking of the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. And I want to uh, just touch upon some of the things we spoke of last time uh, by way of introduction. And uh, also have a number of scriptures that I'd like for you to follow along with me. And uh, if you would, so be ready to turn in your Bibles or at least listen as I, as I share them. But um, we are in our text is Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Wonderful portion of scripture that enables us to see God's marvelous plan for humanity. And as we read in that portion of scripture in Isaiah, and reflecting upon the other scriptures that are there in the bulletin, why there is a great joy as we understand and grasp the truth of the scriptures as to uh, the purpose of Messiah and what he has accomplished for us. And today it is a, a good day for us to be looking at uh, that aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, joy, as we certainly remember the Lord Jesus Christ, remember his horrendous death on Calvary's cross and the purpose of that death and how it relates to you and to me. And then as born again believers, we find that as we walk in that truth, we have the joy of the Lord. And uh, we are to look inward. And this is a perfect time to do it. We're told as we come to the table of the Lord that we are to examine ourselves, that we are now, I don't mean just taking a, uh, uh, a magnifying glass and just putting ourselves under that and just uh, causing that great heartache that oftentimes comes when we are uh, seeing the reality of our lives, but to look at what God has produced in us because we now wear the robes of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we have to remember this in our human frailty, in our flesh, and in our uh, tremendous um, um, weakness, I would say, to uh, lapse back into thinking that somehow we are to walk after the flesh every desire being made known in the flesh. And yet God says there's something far greater than that. And because of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of the cleansing of the blood of Christ, because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the life of every believer, that we can look and in it all, we can be so amazed and we find joy as we understand what God has made available to us. And certainly as we understand the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, we, we are to understand that this day, as we look at the joy of the Lord, we are to recognize that joy now, we can either experience that joy or neglect that joy. It's up to us. Remember, the law of sin has been crushed, and we no longer must sin. We no longer must walk in sin. We have the Spirit of Christ dwelling within us, and he uh, 
just uh, enables us to grasp, understand the work and the word of Almighty God in our lives. And it should bring a resounding sense of joy. And that joy isn't just simply happiness. Happiness is about circumstances, isn't it? It's about what we consider to be blessings in our lives. But joy, true joy, is what takes place in transformed lives, enabling us to be aware of looking beyond what is right here on terra firma, looking beyond what is happening in the immediate time of our lives and looking at the word of God and seeing the full revelation of what God desires in our hearts and lives and what he has made available to us. And that is true joy. If you would, uh, uh, just by going back in chapter 5, if you would just land on uh, the 16th verse, we're going to look at this portion of Scripture because it is an exercise in walking in the Spirit and what the Apostle Paul would have that young church understand about their position because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I want to look at this and just read that. This I say then, walk in the Spirit. This is verse 16. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. In other words, that strong, those strong desires of the flesh are not to run us, dictate our lives. Why? Because walk in the Spirit. Paul says the promise of God is you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You're not bound. You're no longer a prisoner. You're able with the Spirit of the Lord's strength day by day to live and walk after him. Verse 17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Now, he's talking about the Christian, that spiritual battle that's going on in the life of every believer. I don't know what your theology is about the, uh, the, uh, the death of the flesh within the believer, but the reality is we live in the flesh, moment by moment, day by day, as long as we're upon this earth, in this unredeemed flesh. That's why the flesh stays behind and is buried. Later on it will become uh, a marvelous entity and join together with the spirit and the soul of man in the presence of God. But in the meantime, folks, we are to keep our focus on what God is doing and what he is able to do and what he has done in our lives and we must focus upon the, the work of the, and the ministry of the Spirit of God for he leads us through the revelation of God's word. Verse 18, But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. That's speaking of that law of the flesh of sin that's dominant in the life, in the lives of those who do not have faith and have not believed in the person and the, the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are manifest. In other words, they're evident. 
which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murdering, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, those who are enslaved by those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But you children of God have been born anew and you have the ability to choose to walk in the might and the power of his spirit day by day. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we walk in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. I'll end my reading there. Uh, understanding that the if you have studied, and I hope you have spent time in the book of Romans, you see as Paul just unfolds the working of God in the life of the believer, as we grow and mature, we become more and more like Jesus Christ. How? It is because the Spirit of Christ himself dwells within the life of the believer, and he is doing that work day by day and moment by moment as we develop the marvelous graces that are given to us here in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but also as the Spirit of the Lord is refining us and doing that work within us that we might live recognizing that we have choice now. We're not bound to do sin, but we have the marvelous choice to walk with God. Um, as we move into our text today, I want us to see as we looked last time together in that portion of scripture that uh, there is a very pointed um, contrast. This is what we said. There's a very pointed contrast in the life of the believer who is walking by and in the spirit and displaying or manifesting um, uh, not the works of the flesh, but of the Spirit. And how do we know what those are? We go to his word. We look and we see. And the fifth chapter of Galatians gives us a marvelous, wonderful opportunity to see those lists of the manifestations of the flesh in life or the manifestations of the Spirit in the life. By the Spirit of Christ, by the Spirit of God, power, um, uh, the, the, the believer can manifest uh, through the Spirit's power in our lives. These, I would say, nine graces. Now, of course, as you look at the, um, the, the, the total uh, ministry of the Word of God, there's so many other areas, but these really encompass everything. Uh, however, we can go off and uh, uh, in our outline, and we can just keep going down in our outline and see how broad these actually are. And so uh, we come to what we call the fruit of the Spirit. You know, notice that word is given to us. It is a singular word. It means that in its singularity uh, it, that these, these marvelous qualities or graces 
that we see here uh, constitute a unity, the fruit of the Spirit. And so what we did last time was we set the foundation, the foundational grace that we see that actually is the foundation, but it also covers that entire, the entirety of the fruit of the Spirit is love, that agape that we talked about last week. And uh, these marvelous, marvelous uh, graces are to be seen in our lives. We just don't manifest love. We are to manifest these other facets of that marvelous fruit of the Spirit. And so as we add them, we ought to be checking and seeing if these things are really a part of our everyday living. It's a very practical way for us to see that we are walking according to the Spirit or by the Spirit or through the Spirit and not walking in our flesh. And so uh, all of these are to be found in a believer who is living under the control or the influence of the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit. So the fruit is simply the life of Christ lived out in the believer. All right, that's where we came to last time, and uh, I uh, placed some of the scriptures in the, in the bulletin for, uh, that I did not read but want you to read because I believe that as we consider these graces in our lives, and especially today as we consider the, the joy of the Holy Spirit, why we, we, uh, we look at our great example, our model, and that is the Lord Jesus himself. And the word of God tells us in 1511, John 1511, that Jesus had great joy. And he found that joy in pleasing his father by living a very fruitful life. In other words, Jesus came with a divine purpose and he lived out that purpose in obedience to his heavenly father. We're no different. We're to be living our lives, pleasing our heavenly father living out fruitful existence. And this is why we're looking at this portion of Scripture. The purpose of, of the Lord's teaching is to, to give man the abundant life, John 10.10. 10. Jesus, I came to give you life, abundant life, not a joyless existence. Now, sometimes the things that go on in our lives and the things that go on in society and in our culture would cause to drain us of joy if we allow ourselves to constantly be looking and examining those things that are outside our Christian lives, our existence. Now, we are within the, the influence of these things, but they don't have to take over and destroy our joy because our joy comes, as we look at Jesus, our joy comes in pleasing our Heavenly Father and living a fruitful life. You know, the, the pressure that we're under lately is something a little different than I ever, ever expected in my lifetime. When I was a young boy, I remember in the church, the, 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 the thought and the intent of the heart was to live godly, holy lives and to bring others into the kingdom life, into that 
promise of eternal life because one day we would stand before our Heavenly Father and eternity then would go on forever, not just this little tiny space that we call our earthly lives. And the joy that I would see in the hearts of the elderly people in our congregation was not simply that they were getting older and, and diseased and things were coming into their lives. Their focus was upon the reality of Almighty God and that they had that marvelous hope and promise of God that they would be in his presence and nothing could hinder them. Nothing could separate them from the love of God. We're missing that for some reason. We have gotten the idea that if we concentrate on the glories to come, that somehow we will be walking around like lame people upon this earth. That's not true. When our vision is upon the, the, the expectation that we have to be in the presence of Almighty God, it causes us a joy that enables us in the midst of suffering here below with the knowledge and the understanding that it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. We sang it this morning, all that thrills my soul is Jesus. Now, did, can we actually sing that and know that and understand that? I believe we can. There are times when walking through this world, our feet get filthy dirty and we begin to take on some of the the, the dirt and the mire of this, but we are to be cleansed so that we may get our focus back where it ought to be. And I would say that this is a good time for us as we come to the table of the Lord to make sure that we are clean before the Lord and that we have been forgiven of all our sins. And that's so possible, isn't it, wonderful folks? That when the Spirit of Christ makes us aware that we have fallen short of his glory, that he enables us to come and in confession of sin, know that he cleanses us, he forgives us, and he washes all that sin away. We stand cleansed, clean, and our focus is where it ought to be. A joyous experience. The commands for his disciples to obey is for their joy. Do you realize this? Jesus was telling them that, that they were to serve him and that they were to live godly lives and they were to be revealing the fruit of the Spirit in their lives and it would produce joy. Why? Because they would be obedient to the purposes of God. Happy. Joyous. And joy came to Christ's disciples because they knew from his word that he had conquered the evil one and brought eternal life for them. Does that bring you joy now? Or have we become so steeped in what's happening in our culture around us, so bathed in what's happening all in this, this fallen world, that we are not seeing beyond ourselves and we have our blinders on and we're unable to see because we have not picked up the word of God lately and not bathed our hearts and minds in the word of God so that we may stand before the Lord with joy 
knowing what he has done for us in his great mercy and his grace. He loves us. Can you imagine a God in his grace and his mercy toward those he created, those who had abandoned him, those who had become so stiff-necked, those who had openly defiled themselves in light of all that God, their creator, had done for them, how he made a way of escape from the judgment and the wrath of God. He provided the Lamb of God who was slain, whose shed blood cleanses us and enables us to stand redeemed in the midst of the struggles of life and the woes of life, the grieving times of life, the times when we fall flat on our faces. And as we understand it and we see it, it may humble us and it may be tears, but there are, its foundation is joy in knowing that God loved me regardless of who I am and what I've done and how rotten my mind and attitude may be. He loves me. He loves you. And the knowledge of that as we come and we, we, we bathe in that, that knowledge just like these disciples had bathed in the knowledge of Jesus' words that, that he had conquered the evil one and brought eternal life for them. It brought joy to their hearts. Now, if you're not experiencing that joy, then it means that you need to do some business today. Deal with sin. Deal with your cold heart. Deal with this aloofness we have to the reality of the gospel of life. You know why? Because it robs us of the joy of his presence. It robs us of fellowship and communion with the Lord. It destroys fellowship among us as a community of believers. It destroys our ability to have any influence in the darkness around us. And so the very people whom God has given to us to present the word of God, the word of truth, they never see and they never hear. What an awesome responsibility we have, and yet we have been given the joy of the Lord that we may find gladness in obeying the command of God. As we believers today focus and live continually in that light, then we're going to experience the joy of the Lord. I want us to uh, go back to Galatians chapter 5, and uh, if you just open your Bibles to the 22nd verse, remembering that uh, I, I look at the fruit of the Spirit, and it's like a cluster, and uh, I would call it almost like a gem that has many facets all in all areas, why th those many facets represent the, the unity of the fruit that God has made possible that we live in all the time. And those, those marvelous graces, those facets are supposed to be seen in us. 
they're amazing if we look at them. And that foundation, of course, is that love, that agape, that very foundation upon which we build. And then comes this, the second, the joy. We talked a little bit about that war that is within us. And uh, uh, as, we, as we think of that war or that battle that oftentimes goes on between the flesh and the spirit and the life of the believer, you have to understand that war began the day you received Christ as your personal savior. But that war is a place of, of marvelous victory for that one who is yielded to the Lord and willing to walk after the Spirit. You remember Paul giving his experience in Romans 7. That battle Ongoing battle was there, very evident, but he found victory in yielding to the Holy Spirit. And in chapter 8, we see him make a, 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 a different um, uh, image there of, of the believer walking in the Spirit. I want us to continue looking at the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and looking... Beyond the spirit, the joy, the, uh, the fruit of the spirit is love. That was the last time. Today, the fruit of the spirit is joy. Would you turn to um, Psalm 51 with me, please? Psalm 51. I just, uh, I, I feel as if when we, we talk about the joy of salvation, that there is an opportunity for us to see an individual that probably you have high regard for, and yet um, he was a man who was given to following after his lust, the lust of the flesh, and he had failed. And so we have the writing of David, the Psalm of David, and this happened after Nathan the prophet came to him and after he had had this affair with Bathsheba. And this is what he cries out to the Lord. You see, the Lord got a hold of him. Praise God that the spirit of God within mankind will do that for you if you are born again, if you have new life in Christ. That's our marvelous treasure in our God. Listen to David. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. Wow. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. What's he doing there? He's being a 1 John 1, 9 believer. He's confessing his sin to the Lord. And he knows, he knows, he understands the heart of God and the love and the mercy, the loving kindness, the grace of God. And he says, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. In other words, he understood that God, Almighty God, 
great aspect of our wonderful God is that he judges the sin of mankind. He is our judge. And he understands that God, under, seeing his sin and seeing this evil in his sight, that God is justified were he to bring judgment and be clear when thou judgest. Verse 6. Verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Rejoice is a good word for joy. Do you realize that? Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. That has to do with fellowship. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. We know that in this dispensation of his grace, that Holy Spirit never, never leaves the believer. Restore unto me the joy, there's the word. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. You know when he says, uh, uh, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, he is mimicking, or, or the, the, the disciples then were even looking back at David's experience of the restoration of the joy of salvation. You see, salvation brings to us it ought to bring to us that marvelous uh, attitude of rejoicing and joy because it's only through the grace of God that we can come before our judge. And when we have confessed our sin <coughs> and when he has cleansed us, well, when that blood of the cross is applied to our lives, we stand clean before the Lord. Here we have David filled with burden, <clears throat> not at all joyous. He had lost the joy of his salvation, but he longed to have it again. Now listen, it pays for us to read these Old Testament scriptures. It pays for us to understand how these men who were God's men dealt with so much that we deal with in our lives today and also find that joy of knowing their sins are forgiven. John 1.17 assures us of that. But that he also recognized the joy that he was a child of God. John 1.12 says, but as many as received him. That's salvation, folks. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. God has met us. 
Do you know I mentioned the fact of heaven and how as Christians we ought to be very aware of heaven. Philippians 1.21 through the 23rd verses say, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. How could he say that? How could he say to die is gain? In our society, in our culture, it's all about living. It's all about living and knowing what we're handling and seeing and tasting and doing in this life. And yet, Paul is saying, for me to live is Christ. Christ. To die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. I don't know what to think. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart. <clears throat> is it wrong for us as believers to look forward to the day we stand before the Lord? Or in his presence? Because the Bible tells us in his presence there's fullness of joy. And he says, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better, he says. And yet even in the church today, even in the family of God today, there is this awful sense that if for some reason God calls us out of this world, that it is a terrible tragedy. If you believe in the sovereign will of God in your life, then you know that it's God who calls us to his presence. And it's his, for his purpose, and it's not a bad thing. Now, we who are left behind feel that negative aspect of dying because we're lonely. But when we understand the concept that Paul gives us that to, that to live as Christ, to die as gain, then we can understand from a Christian perspective what it is, this whole thing of life and death. And I'll tell you something. I have never seen a time in the United States of America when you have the murderous thing of this abortion deal, when you have all that it includes in every aspect of society, when you have the, the unwillingness to, to uh, listen or to hear the very word of God, whether it be in the public arena of the, of, of the television or whether it be in the, the schoolroom or whether it be in the neighborhood, there has never been a time, I don't believe, in America when Americans could cry out as believers, even so come Lord Jesus. Even so come Lord Jesus. Have you ever thought that if perchance the wrong powers are in place in the next few months that uh, life as we understand it and the freedoms that we know uh, would be changed, ultimately would be changed. And some of us say, oh, I don't want to see anything like that. How could I be happy? That's a terrible attitude. The joy of life is Jesus Christ. And if it means that we, in our joy of serving our Lord, have opportunities in difficult times to bring people to the knowledge of their need of a Savior, 
How great is that? But the church ought to be crying, even so, come Lord Jesus. Because that means when Jesus comes again, that heaven's filled up. Do you realize that? <clears throat> and all those he's calling to himself have been called. And that means, church, that we need to be on the mark. We need to be doing what we ought to be doing with our testimonies. <coughs> and so there's marvelous joy of the peace of God in our lives. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. That's joy. That's joy. By the way, that's a fruit coming up, isn't it? That's all part of these first three, that, that aspect of the mind of the believer before Almighty God. But there's that wonderful joy of abiding in him. And I think that as we come to the table of the Lord, we ought to evaluate our spiritual condition oftentimes. Because this whole idea that basically comes from John chapter 15, verse 11, talks about that joy. And in fact, Jesus gives us these things, John 15, 11, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. How is it full? It's through our communion with him. We need to evaluate ourselves, our spiritual condition today. Is the joy of the Lord your daily experience? Just think. He has given to us the opportunity to live in constant joy. But there are days where I'm not living expressing the joy of the Lord. If you are in that situation, why aren't you enjoying a daily experience of his joy in our life? What needs to be corrected in our lives, do you think, when we understand that we're not walking in the joy of the Lord? If I could look back at my week, I look at oftentimes I am not expressing or manifesting the joy of the Lord any more than my unsaved neighbor down the way. Are we abiding, knowingly abiding, consciously abiding in Christ? That means fully surrendered to him. That means keeping a strong tie to my Bible, to the word of God. Feeding on his word every day. Am I feeding? That desire to walk with God or do I allow that book to be so distant from me that his truth is not invading 
the deep recesses of my thinking and my mind and my psyche? Am I confessing all of my known sin? 1 John 1, 9, a wonderful promise gives, God gives us. If you confess your sins, say it with me. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That means I'm only a, a breath away from cleansing every moment of every day. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. In, in John chapter 15, we have the, that marvelous moving account of the vine and the branches, that wonderful idea of the unity that we have, not only on the vine with others who are joined into the vine, which is Jesus. Branches on the vine. Jesus is the vine. And are we every day with that illustration that John gives us, are we understanding that we can draw daily from Christ himself if we're in unity with him? If we're getting our, like the vine, how do the branches get anything? Through that vine. They get their sustenance. They get their food. And then they bear fruit. If they're in union, are we bearing fruit for him? And I don't just mean simply giving witness about Christ, but living out the reality of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives daily that affects people and brings us to that place where there is a clear witness of God's grace. The joy the joy of communion with our wonderful Lord. You know, in the book of Romans, in chapter 8, verses 14, 15, I think it's 16, yeah, let's, um, it says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God, led by Led by means communicating, following, listening. Then the next verse says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Wow, that should be underlined, shouldn't it? But ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We read that this morning. And then the 16th, The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of of God. That's communion with him. We need to be praying, folks. He directs us when we pray. The Spirit of God directs us when we pray. He bears witness when we pray. And then in Romans 8, 26, he, it tells us that the Spirit of Christ intercedes when we don't know how to pray. Have you ever been on your knees before the Lord and you just are struggling? You can't get a, a cross in words what your need is. And yet you find within your spirit that God's spirit is in communion with you. And he is knowing, he is understanding, and he is bringing that need before our Heavenly Father. 
I believe that our joy increases as we continue to pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Because joy certainly is there, accompanies answers to prayer. Do you know that joy of answered prayer? My grandmother used to say, always write your prayers down and then, then put a date when it was answered. Joy. That brings me, I just want to close with these thoughts. It's living as a fruitful witness for the Lord. Listen to what Paul says. Wherefore, in, in 1 Thessalonians 2.18, he says, Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. You see, he wanted to go. He wanted to go. There were many things, but Satan was hindering him. In the next verse, it says, 19th verse, For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? In other words, the joy of fruitful witness was very evident in his life. He knew that the joy his great joy would be with those who were stood before his heavenly Father because of their faith in Christ. Luke 15, 7 and 10 talk about the joy of the angels. I'm not going to read that. Jesus, remember, in Hebrews chapter 12, 2, talked about the joy. He said, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. This made the cross bearable for Jesus. The joy of knowing that he was obeying his heavenly father, the joy of heaven for many, many people, you and I. And I believe that the joy-filled, joyful, spirit-filled life produces fellow believers. It's a normal fruit in our lives. We are to be seeing people coming to new life in Christ. But you know that joy that we've been talking about, it can't be worked up. Otherwise, it's not joy, it's happiness, and that's all has to do with what we have, not what we don't have. The fruit of the Spirit comes from within the life of a believer because the Holy Spirit dwells within the believer. Every child of God. And we're told in the word of God that we can actually grieve the spirit of God. Ephesians 4.30, Paul reminds believers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit. How do we grieve him? We ignore him. We go our way. When he desires that we walk by him and following after him. Stop grieving 
the Spirit. That's what we can do. We can say, Lord, am I grieving you? Reveal it. We know, don't we? Stop, he says. Stop grieving. Then something else along that line in uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. He says, quench not the Spirit. It's like uh, dousing water on your fire or putting your candle under a, a glass globe. We put out the fire. Quench not the Holy Spirit. These are things that are manifest oftentimes in our lives when we are lacking joy. We are to experience the joy of the Lord. How do we do it? If we're quenching the Spirit, we stop quenching the Spirit. If we're grieving the Holy Spirit, we stop grieving the Spirit of God. We confess our sins to our wonderful Lord who promises forgiveness and a restoration of joy.